Hey, good morning, church. How you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, my name's AJ. I'm the uh, executive pastor of this house, and it's really, really, really good to be with you this Palm Sunday. Uh, this is a really special week for us. Pastor Tiff did a great job setting that up for us. Thank you, Pastor Tiff. Um, if you don't know Holy Week or the significance behind each of these moments, I thought we could just take a moment together and just, just maybe just walk through what happens this week and why it matters. Holy Week starts today with Palm Sunday. Is Jesus' final entry into the city of Jerusalem. He enters God's holy city for the last time. We call it a triumph because we know how it ends. It ends in his victory, although there's some stuff that happens in the middle that doesn't make it seem like it's so, like it's so good. The next big milestone after um, Palm Sunday is Monday, Thursday. So not Monday through Thursday, but Maundy Thursday. You can see, I think, how it's spelled behind me. Uh, this is the moment of the Last Supper when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he teaches them a new commandment. He says, you are to love one another the way that I have loved you. And he models for them in that moment the example, this is how you love one another, you serve one another. This is one of the final lessons that Jesus has to offer his disciples at the Last Supper. He models that and then we break bread. And For us, we call that moment of communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus is betrayed after the Last Supper by Judas on Good Friday. We gather to remember his crucifixion and his death. And we'll have a service here to do just that. Again, we call it good, ironically, because we know the good that came from it. Although in the moment, it seemed like the darkest hour. Three days later, we gather here for Resurrection Sunday. You might know some of that or all of that, but um, a lot of us approach these significant moments in our faith with a sense of kind of rote tradition. Here we are again. I got to hear another service with the palms again. Can't wait till after we start a new series, maybe some. I just want to encourage you. It's not the day that makes it important. It's the significance that makes it sacred. You know, I celebrate June 19th every year in my household. Without fail, every year I celebrate June 19th. We have special dinner. We do special things in our house with the family. It's special for us. But not because it's June 19th, but because that's the day my wife and I got married. So yeah, it's Palm Sunday. It is the day that Palm Sunday falls on. But let me encourage you to find the significance that makes this day sacred. And I just want to challenge you to come to this with a burning anticipation, anticipation because you get to retell and relive the greatest story ever told. We get to sit and wait and hear from God in the moment of the greatest, the, the most significant moment in all of history. So let's not rush past it. Let's sit in it and let's remember it. Today is Palm Sunday. We're going to read the story of Palm Sunday. It's in John chapter 12. So if you want to turn there to John chapter 12, you can read along. It's also um, in, on the screen behind me. This is... Um, a story that is told in every gospel account. Every gospel account has this story. This is John's version of events. All right. How are we feeling this morning? It's Super Bowl week for the Christian faith, okay? So I hope we're excited. We're ready to take some ground, get some victory today. All right. Okay. I'm ready. John 12, chapter 12, verse 12. The triumphal entry. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. 
So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father God, we invite your spirit into this space that we might hear from you what you are ministering to us. Help me to be clear. Help me to be simple, Father, that you would be glorified in every moment that we spend together today. In Jesus' name, say amen. A number of years ago, Dr. Emerson Egerich wrote a book called Love and Respect. It's a marriage books, pretty popular in the Christian uh, circles. Um, we've taught it here before for a number of years. My wife and I took Love and Respect uh, in our small group, actually, uh, many years ago when we were uh, young and married. Um, now we feel old and married. And I know, I know, we're not old at all, but just go with me, okay? My back's hurting this morning, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling, <laughs> feeling, feeling old this morning. In this book... Dr. Egrich says something that changed the way I look at everything. He says one thing in this book that fundamentally changed the way I look at every situation I've been in since. He says, your response is your responsibility. How you respond is on you, it's not on them. I didn't like it when I read it. But then I began to sit with it. I'm responsible for my actions. My wife is responsible for her reactions. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. It's just a few of us in here today. I'm okay being transparent in the house of the Lord. I'll be a little vulnerable with you guys. I'm not always the best husband. Most of the time I am. Who's sitting over here? <laughs> hey, we need to escort some people out, Usher. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> some days I wake up and I'm just a little bit difficult. You ever been like that? Uh, I don't know why it happens. Did my wife provoke it? No. She do something that made me feel this way? No. Did I even give her a fair warning? Good morning, honey. Today, I'm going to be saltier than normal. <laughs> Every kind thing you say to me will receive an annoying and sarcastic response, and you're just going to have to deal with it because you love me. No, I don't even give her that credit. I don't even give her that opportunity. I just start acting the way I act. And what keeps my dear wife from clapping back at me first thing in the morning? She knows her response is her responsibility. She doesn't have to know why I'm like I am. I just don't have to know why I say what I say or do what I do. That's my issue. She knows how she responds is on her. So normally the conversation goes a little something like this. She goes, after I say whatever I say, she goes, honey, have I done something this morning that's disrespected you? I go, no, we're fine. What? She goes, is there something going on at work that's stressing you out? No, work's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. <laughs> 
You're bothering me. I'm good. There's no issue. Then she says the one, and all the wives in the room are like, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. When's she going to, when's she going to, honey, do you need something to eat? I go, yeah. So what if I do? I'm a little hungry. I'm a little hungry. Well, what keeps my wife from matching my energy in that moment and starting a fight over nothing? My wife knows that how she responds is on her, and she always has a choice in how she responds. There are a lot of times God will do things you don't understand. He will ask you to do things that make no sense. And you know what? That's okay, because you don't have to understand it. That's not your responsibility. You're not responsible for what God requests you to do. You're responsible for how you respond to him. And you always have a choice in how you respond. In this passage, I think we see three ways people responded to Jesus doing something they didn't understand. So I have three points for today if you're taking notes. I think we can respond in worship, we can respond in wonder, and we can respond by witnessing. So to fully understand the significance of the moment of Palm Sunday, I just want to tell you the story of what is going on. We know that Palm Sunday marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last time. But that he goes to Jerusalem at this point in time at all is crazy. Because moments before this happens in John, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. And he talks about how he and the Father are one. And let me tell you, if anything is going to make a chief priest or a Pharisee mad, is somebody starts saying, I am like God. They were so hot, they had stones in their hands going, I swear, say one more thing. Say it again, Jesus. I will chuck this at you so fast. They were ready to arrest him and kill him on the spot. They had a plan in place. This man shows his face in here again. We're going to get him. So thankfully, Jesus and the disciples were able to get out of Jerusalem. And they knew going back, it's not an option. We're going to do our ministry out here in peace where it's safe. The disciples knew what it meant for them to go back into Jerusalem. And so they were going to stay out of Jerusalem until Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick. And if you've ever had a friend fall sick or ill or be in the hospital, you know that no matter what you're doing, no matter what's going on, you find a way to get there. You find a way to be present, to go to the house, to be with the family. You got to get there. And normally that's not a problem, except that Lazarus lives in a little town called Bethany. And the little town of Bethany is just two short miles right outside of Jerusalem. And wherever Jesus goes, a crowd follows. There is no incognito mode for Jesus. That just doesn't exist. People in Jerusalem were yearning for somebody to help them. They had been under Roman occupation for many years. The independent Jewish state was destroyed. The Jewish king was deposed by Pompey back in 63 BC. So, you know, a long time before this happens. They're under occupation. They're feeling the threat of persecution, of, of living in the holy city of God, but not having the liberty that they ought to have in that holy city of God. And so they're looking for anybody, a prophet, a priest, a king, somebody help me. And Jesus has been going around healing people, teaching this new message about the kingdom of heaven, and it's, and it's here on earth now. And they've heard some wild testimonies about what he can do. 
And they want to see him because the rumor is spreading. Here's how William Lane Craig describes the environment in Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem was a seething cauldron of unrest. Jews yearned for a messianic deliverer who would once and for all restore to Israel the throne of David and establish God's kingdom in the land. Jesus says, my guy is sick. We're going back. The disciples say, why? Why would we do that? And then Jesus goes, oh, and by the way, don't worry, this illness does not end in death. It ends in the glory of God. You got to help me if I'm a disciple. I know y'all are holier than me. I'm trying to add two and two together. If we go, we're going to get arrested and probably killed. We're going because he's sick, but you just said the sickness doesn't end in death. So why are we going? Jesus, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta help me with this one. There seems to be, why don't we just, why don't we just lift our hands from afar and just pray blessings in his way towards, let's point towards Jerusalem. Father, let your healing power flow. Why we gotta go, Jesus? Aren't you glad Jesus is drawn to your sick situation? Mm. Ain't nothing gonna keep him from you. I'm so grateful that when Jesus sees me in my sickness and in my tough spot, he doesn't go, I pray for you. He rushes in to meet me. But if I'm a disciple with Jesus, I still got some questions. So how do you respond? How do you respond when you don't understand what God is doing in your life? What do you say? What bubbles up when you get bad news? How do you respond when a financial crisis hits in your life? How do you respond when trouble comes your way? How do you respond when Jesus invites you into a hopeless situation? Maybe you respond as Thomas did. Thomas says the most heroic thing in all of scripture, in my opinion. Thomas, upon hearing this, stands up, I imagine. He didn't button his robe, but it looks cooler with the suit jacket. Jesus, let us go with you that we may die with you. Oh my gosh. If I'm like Barnabas, I'm like, Thomas, get out of here, man. You show off. <laughs> Thomas had the faith to believe and to follow. How do we respond when Jesus invites us into a situation? So they go to Bethany. They're on their way back to Jerusalem. And what's significant about this time is that it's the Passover celebration. Jerusalem is a city of about 50,000 people. That's about how much room Jerusalem has, we think. At the time of the Passover, about 150,000 more people would come to the city. So they're filled up every room in the city, and they're camping in the mountains and the small towns and villages all around, everywhere around the city. There are Jewish pilgrims here for the Passover feast. And what do you think the buzz is among, among all these people? What do you think they're talking about, whispering about, wondering about? Is he going to be here? You think he's going to be here? I don't know, man. I heard last time they were ready to stone him. Man, they're not going to stone him. He's Jesus. Man, is he really, though? He never said he was the son of God. You know, Jesus, he never before this affirmed who he was. People would, people would say, surely you are the son of God. And Jesus would say, shh, 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 shh. don't say that. Just go from here and don't tell anybody that. Just go for it. Surely you are Christ, the Messiah. Ah, don't tell nobody that. Don't tell nobody that. They want to see him, though. Everyone's got an opinion on him. Man, it's like if Will Smith showed up. <laughs> now y'all awake. 
everybody's got an opinion. Oh yeah, man, he definitely should have done that. For sure he's justified. No way, man, you don't ever respond like this. Everyone's got an opinion, and if you walked in here, whoa, whoa. what's he gonna do? Ah! They're not sure who Jesus is, but they've heard of what he's done. They're yearning for a deliverer. They're yearning for someone to save them. They need something. And this is a peak moment in their faith. The city is filled. It's buzzing. And so when Jesus, from the town of Bethany, on the Mount of Olives, which is like a big hill outside the city. Don't think like Mount Everest. Think like a big hill. So Jesus, he gets on a donkey, and he rides down through the Kidron Valley, two miles into the gates of Jerusalem. What begins to fire in the minds of the Jewish people is this story from the old scroll of Samuel when Samuel the prophet is telling the story of David and David in 2 Samuel 16 also got on a donkey on the Mount of Olives and also rode down and David was the greatest king of all of Israel and David was the one from whom from his line our messianic deliverer would come so when I see Jesus on a donkey coming down from the Mount of Olives oh my goodness are you kidding me it's happening so what do you do that which was a secret is now proclaimed by Jesus in this action and the people are going yes you are the son of God. Yes, you are Christ the Messiah. Yes, you are the king of Israel. And if you're in that moment, how do you not grab that palm branch and start throwing it at him, taking your coat off and start laying it down and go, Hosanna, God saves. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is the first way we see they respond to Jesus. And worship is always the right way to respond. It's never a bad idea to respond in worship. When Jesus presents himself in your life, when Jesus shows up and asks you to do something, presents that he's real to you, you ought to take a moment first and to worship him for who he is. You are king of kings. You are lord of lords. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the lion of Judah. You are the lamb that was slain. You are holy and other and good and great. And God, I worship you. But I got to warn you because there's a trap in this. It seemed like a lot of the people who came out to worship Jesus were worshiping him for what they thought he would do for them, not because of who he was to them. And it's easy to worship a Jesus of your own design. I don't take no skill at all. Jesus, the one who's going to heal me and bless me and deliver me and save me. I love you, Jesus. Jesus, who's going who's to pay my bills next week. Jesus, who's going to give me a new job. God, I love you, Jesus, for what you're going to do for me. Many of these palm layers were worshiping a Jesus of their own design. Surely here comes the new king of Israel who will get these Romans out of here. And will restore to us the faith of our fathers. Do it, Jesus. Hosanna, save us now. Now is the time for you to save me. Precious, significant, me. Center of the world, me. How do you think you felt if you were the disciples in this moment? They followed a Jesus who invited them into danger and said, Come on with me. How do you think the disciples felt in that moment as they're walking with a Jesus into an uncertain environment that seems hopeless, that seems desperate, that seems dangerous, and he says, come on, guys, you're coming. You're coming too. I wonder if you can worship that Jesus. 
that Jesus is a little bit harder to worship. There's a lot of times Jesus invites you to a hopeless situation, a dark situation, a place where you're going like, I don't see the light here, Jesus. You know, I've been praying, but this is not what I was praying for. So maybe we need to work on our communication. <laughs> this ain't it. The disciples are walking into danger and Jesus is just saying, come on, come on with me, fellas. Where you go, where you go, I go. How did the disciples rightly respond? It's because they knew something that all those palm layers didn't know. They knew who Jesus was, truly. Palm layers went on rumor about what he could do. The disciples knew who he was. What properly motivates our worship in a situation where we're not sure what God is doing? How do you worship? You ever been there? Man, he keeps telling me to worship. You don't know the hell that I am looking at. You want me to worship here? Yeah, because we don't worship God for what he, we hope he does for us. We worship God for who he is to us. So when you're lost in the moment of desperation and despair, it's not just prayers. God, get me out. God, relieve the pain. Make it easier for me, Jesus. It's God, you are holy. You are righteous. You are faithful. You are faithful to a thousand generations. It's who you are. You are God with me, not God far from me. And you recite to yourself the character of God. You are God who does not change. And see what that does to your worship. Because if we only worship Jesus for what we hope he will do for us and not who he is to us, there will come a point in your life when you look around and you see what he's actually doing and you don't actually like it. And you actually got a problem with it. And you'd actually like to have a few words, Jesus. But we don't have to understand what he's doing. We just have to respond rightly to him. We're not responsible for what he requests of us. We're responsible for our response to him. And in those moments, you see a second way that we can respond to Jesus, which is to wonder. Just to wonder. Said his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things. So it's Palm Sunday. It's Easter week. It's Holy Week. Safe to say it's a significant week? Safe to say it's a significant week? Okay. Safe to say it's a week that's important to God? Safe to say it's a week that matters to him. Okay, so probably not a set of circumstances that just casually unfolded without intention, yeah? Maybe God was working things through this situation. Would you agree? I would agree too. I don't think God wastes a moment in this story. And we could spend 8, 12 hours going through all of the context of what's going on here and, and all, all the ways God is moving and the religious historical significance and all of that. But just suffice it to say this. There is so much happening in this story. John goes out of his way to say, even the disciples didn't know what was going on. Here, here's an example. Here's an example. Take this donkey. <laughs> In Mark's account of this story, this is in every gospel, so Mark is one of the gospel writers. In Mark's account of the story, uh, Jesus tells his disciples when they're in Bethany, go to this town, and there you will see a donkey tied up, and when you see that donkey, go ahead and take that donkey for me and bring it back, and if anybody says anything to you, you know, just say that magic password we all set up. Say the Lord has need of it, and just go ahead and bring it back anyways. 
Now, I don't like to over-spiritualize the disciples. I like to put myself in the disciples' shoes. And I kind of go like, do what now? Do what? I like to think of the disciples being like, all right, Barnabas, it's you and me, man. We on donkey duty today. I'll walk all this way, get this donkey for Jesus. I'm about to go, steal, we about to steal this donkey, man? What are we doing out here? Are we about to steal? Are we committing? Is this like Grand Theft Auto? You know, because it's like a mode of transportation. Like, you got me. It's like, yeah, okay. You, you, okay. <laughs> out here complaining. He picked a great day to decide he's tired of walking, never ridden anywhere else before in his life. Now, all of a sudden, he wants a donkey. We don't get to do any of the miracles, signs, and wonders we get to do it back then. We don't get to preach the gospel. I'm on donkey duty. Maybe they woke up in one of my moods, kind of just a little sassy, sarcastic, feeling some kind of way. Man, I can't tell you how many times God will ask you to do something that doesn't make any sense to you. I cannot tell you how many times God will ask you to do something that doesn't make no sense to you. I had a six-figure job. I was on the partner track at my firm. The way was paved, man. It wasn't a, wasn't a question. Just a matter of time. And that's when God said, lay that down and go be a pastor. Just say it one more time for me, Jesus. Make sure I got it right. <laughs> you said, keep the six-figure salary and go be a pastor? Said, no, that's not, no, that's not what I said. Ah! Okay, okay. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm not responsible for what God requests me to do. I'm responsible for how I respond to him. And where we are as a church and where we're going, I never would have seen it back then because it wasn't my job to see it. It was my job to be obedient. How did the disciples respond to requests from Jesus that seemed bizarre in a set of circumstances that seemed abnormal? Same way that we can respond. One, they faithfully obeyed anyways. Oh, they got that donkey. Don't get me wrong. They might have complained the whole way down and the whole way back, pulling on this, this donkey. So get up this hill, man. Jesus needs you, man. I don't care if I'm not your man. Just get. They might have complained the whole way, but they got that donkey. They got it for Jesus. They did what he asked them to do. It's never a bad decision to obey God. It is never a bad decision to obey God. So even if you don't understand why, you might understand what. And that's what Jesus has called you to be responsible to. So faithfully obey anyways. What was the second thing the disciples did in response to these requests, in response to these, in response to these set of circumstances? They never stopped searching the scriptures for answers. John illuminates this for it. He doesn't draw it out for us, but there's a gap that happens. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first, it wasn't until Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. They didn't understand it at first, then they remembered. And I think there's a nice long gap between at first and then. There's a lot of questions I bet they had. Got this donkey, man. 
What's he doing out here? It's palm branches. What is going on? And how do you feel? How do you think Barnabas, I'm just using Barnabas. He's, I don't know. I like his name, so I'm using him today. I don't know which disciple it was, but just put yourself in the shoes of one of them. They know what has happened. We took Jesus in. Yep, he got arrested. They crucified him. They killed him. We're on the run. But man, let me, let me, get, in my, let me get in my prophetic texts. Let me get in my Old Testament, which was for them the only testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But let me get in here and let, let me just search these prophets, man, because these prophets talked about this coming Messiah. And I was so sure Jesus was the coming Messiah, man. He, he told it to us himself. So surely he is. So what makes, how does this make sense here? What is he doing? And, and so, you know, Barnabas out here just reading Zephaniah, Zechariah, Daniel, Hosea, Obadiah, all these guys. And he comes to Zechariah. And he's reading the scroll of the prophet. What do you think happens to his heart when he reads, fear not, daughter of Zion, child of Jerusalem? That's what that means. Zion was Jerusalem. Fear not. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on the colt up? Oh my goodness. On the foal of a donkey. On the... You ever had a moment like this in your devotional life? I pray that you have. If you had, haven't, man, start reading your Bible. A moment where it feels like the word is cutting to your heart. It's leaping off the page. It is the balm to your soul that you're looking for. And you have had a week or a day or a life and you've got some pain. And, and all of a sudden, the crystallizing word of God leaps off of that page and your heart races and you just go, oh my God. You still speak. You still move. You're still faithful. Oh, you're so good. How do you think these disciples' minds felt, hearts, souls, when they realized this was not a set of circumstances that happened upon Jesus. This was a set of circumstances Jesus provoked because he had a purpose for them. He had a reason for them happening. So they were in the middle of their wondering, but they never stopped being faithful and they never stopped searching the scriptures. I wonder what God is doing in your life that you don't understand yet. I'm sure it's something, maybe a few things. It's not your responsibility to choose what God requests of you. It's your responsibility on how you respond to him. Man, I was not all that excited about laying down that job in that position. I mean, I knew I was called to ministry and I was like, yes, and amen, and for sure. And then it gets really real when you're looking at a job offer. I had some questions for God at that point. Are you really a provider? Are you really faithful? Did you really speak to me? What am I chasing? Am I really chasing you? And let me tell you, I, in my season of wondering, in my season of unsuredness, I did not walk that alone. I was in community. I talked to my wife. I searched the scripture and I sought God to see the voice, his voice and what it was saying to me. I think it's okay for us to wonder. I think it's good for us to wonder. The disciples did it. At first, we didn't understand, and then, and then, they remembered. 
I think it's okay for us to wonder. I think, I think wondering is when we take our doubts and our questions to God. But if we let our wonder wander, and if we let our wonder get a little bit out of control, and if we let our wondering about God take us to places outside of the church, and we start asking our secular friends and people who don't know God, what do you think God is telling me? What do you think God is doing in my life? What do you think they have to offer? I mean, they don't know him. They don't know his word. And you're going to ask them for advice on your life? Ah, forgive me. I love your friends, I'm sure. Bring them here. We'll minister. I don't want their opinion on what God is doing in my life. When we wonder, we take our doubts to God. When we wander, we take our doubts to the world. And when we let our wonder wander, one of us is going to walk away. Don't walk away from Jesus before you give him a chance to reveal himself to you. You take your doubts that you have in church and you go take them to secular environments and you go like, yeah, yeah, where is God? Yeah. Get into a discipleship relationship. Meet with somebody who knows the Lord and wonder together. Embrace the wonder. I think we have to embrace the wonder. There's a third way that we can respond to Jesus. The first is by worshiping. The second is by wondering. The third is by witnessing. It says in verse 17, the crowds that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So why did the crowds want to see Jesus in the midst of all of this? In the midst of persecution from the chief priests and Pharisees, which are the religious leaders, in the midst of understanding the risks associated then with maybe being considered or seen as a, as a follower of Jesus, what that might mean for you later? Why did the crowds want to see Jesus? I don't think it was because he was a great teacher in this moment. I don't think it was because they wanted more information. Honestly, I think this was a factor. I don't think it was the deciding factor. It wasn't even just that they could see the physical presence of Jesus. The crowds came out to meet him because they had heard about Lazarus. That this man who had died was now walking around with Jesus. You tell me I get a chance to see Jesus and proof of a resurrection? Sign me up. The thing that makes the world want to see Jesus more than anything else is the testimony of dead men and dead women who have been raised to life. You know, I skipped over that part where Lazarus dies, but just go back because I think we need the context just for a second to help us, to help us see this. Jesus delayed in getting to Bethany to see him. And when he arrived, Lazarus had already died. And Mary and Martha were not happy about it, as you could imagine. And they were pretty upset with Jesus. If you had only been here, my brother would be living. And Jesus says, don't you think he will live again? And Martha says, yeah, we'll see him in the resurrection. We'll see him in eternity. And Jesus looks her in the eyes. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live if you live in me and believe in me, you will never die. Martha, do you believe this? A few days later, shortly after, I guess, he calls Lazarus out of that tomb. 
Lazarus comes walking out, grave clothes and all. And I don't know, some scholars think that shortly after Lazarus fled, which is likely because the Pharisees, who they had a hit out on Jesus, they put one out on Lazarus, which, by the way, ask me, that doesn't make any sense. The man died once. You're going to try to kill him again. It didn't stick the first time. Maybe try a different tactic, but whatever. I'm not responsible for them. So give me at least a couple days where Lazarus stays with Jesus. You're telling me Lazarus didn't spend every second at the side of Jesus. You think there was a moment he didn't leave him. Where you go, I go. Where you lay your head, I lay my head. When you're hungry, I'm cooking. When you're cold, take my blanket. You think there's anything Jesus needed that Lazarus didn't come and meet in that moment? And what was the rumor mill stirring around Jerusalem? There's Jesus, and right next to him, there's Lazarus. Y'all, come on. We are going. We are going to see him. What's the evidence that Jesus is more than a man, more than a teacher, more than a compassionate social worker, more than, more than anything that we could imagine? What is the evidence that Jesus is worth us giving our entire lives over to, to follow him for, ev- for the rest of our lives and give him all of ourselves? What is the evidence that God still saves today? It's that something that was dead is now living. And I've got to see the one who makes those two things meet. And you might be at a place where you can't see that for yourself. You can't see the resurrection life. All you see is the pain that is set before you. All you can see is the hurt and the heartache and the brokenness of your past. I understand that. I'm not minimizing that. I get that. But if you don't have faith to see resurrection power in your own life, bear witness to the resurrection power in other people's lives. For me, I remember my friend Doc. I asked Doc if I could share his testimony with the church. He graciously agreed and he began to tell me from day one his story. This man had a wrestling match with God for his whole life. Running to and running from. Grew up the son of a pastor and grew up in a broken home. His child of divorce. That'll mess with your faith. Had a divorce of his own later in life. Had false accusations levied against him that cost him his job. Had criminal charges brought against him that were later he was exonerated from. Couldn't get a paycheck. Had these charges follow him. Couldn't get a job. Trying to find out, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? I'm lonely. I'm broke. I'm afraid. He finds himself curled up in a ball on his apartment at a pivotal moment of his life, crying out to God, why did you make me if you don't even like me? ever felt like that? God, what are you doing? I thought you were supposed to help me. I thought you were supposed to bless me. And I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. If you're not there, man, just let me go. I'm so grateful for Doc. Because he didn't let his wonder cause him to wander. He continued his story. He said, I couldn't see it at the time, but as I look back, I see the hand of a faithful God who never left me even in my lowest moment. 
in my moment of greatest despair and of greatest pain. I saw a God who was faithful day after day after day after day, year after year after year after year. Even when I was faithless, I saw how God remained faithful. I see the fingerprints of his hand over the course of my life now as I look back at it. Doc regave his life to Christ, and when he was 67 years old, in that baptismal right there, he was baptized into the body of Jesus. And a man who went from God, why did you make me if you don't even like me? Ends his story with me going, now I look at God and I say, why are you so good to me when I've been so wrong to you? It's a story of a dead man who was raised to life. If you don't have faith for yourself, stand on the witness of others. I'll give you one more. This is Miss Kay. Miss Kay is a member of our church. She's been here for a few years and serving faithfully. And I asked her, can I, share, can I share your story with the church? I thought, I think it will bless some people. She began to tell me similarly as she grew up, a child of divorce. The pain that that caused led to eating disorders in her life, led to a lifestyle of seeking to numb that pain and find relief in meaningless relationships and in substance abuse and in addiction. She told me of her own two divorces. She confided in me her multiple abortions. When I asked her if I could share her testimony, the first words out of her mouth, after she shook her head and hung it, she goes, my life was worthless. She said, I had a life without meaning and without purpose. I didn't know what I was doing. She told me of the story then of how God revealed himself to her in a dream. I won't tell you the whole dream. I'll just tell you what God was saying in the dream. God said to her daughter, I see you drowning in your sorrow and I have come to rescue you. She woke up that next day and said, I got to make a change. She started going to church shortly after she found out she had, she's, she'd been pregnant this time. It's not married, not in a relationship. Something had changed on the inside of her, though, and she said, this child I'm carrying to turn. But she was filled and gripped with fear because what if, what if the bad decisions I made before prevent anything good happening to me in the future? And racked with fear, she went before the Lord and said, God, I can't do this in my own strength. She turned her life over to Jesus. Nine months later, she had a healthy baby girl. When that baby girl turned 11, hold on, hold on, just wait, just wait. We'll, get, we'll, we'll give a moment. It gets better. 11 years later, that baby girl gave her life to Christ, and together, mother and daughter went into the waters of baptism, born again, saved by the grace of God. Now we can clap. The two of them serve in this house almost every single Sunday, faithfully. Loving and honoring a God who brought them from death to life. Her daughter to her is a living testimony of a God who makes dead things alive. And now she says, my life was worthless. Now she says, today, let me read it to you. She says, today I feel blessed. I remain faithful and thankful to God for helping raise me from the depths of my former despair. God has blessed me with so much. 
personally and professionally from worthless to worthy. She told me this story a couple weeks ago. I thanked her. She got up. Honestly, she went back to serving. She's incredible. And I sat there and I just, I just wept. Not because I felt bad for her, but because I serve a God who makes dead things alive, who puts hope in a hopeless situation, who does not leave us by ourselves in the depths of our greatest pain, but comes to find us and to pull us up out of it. And we might not understand why or what he's doing, but if we respond in the way that he's called us to respond, you see the hope and the life of resurrection power reveal itself to you. I don't know what doubt and what pain you are facing, what questions you have of God. I don't know what's challenging your soul. I don't know the places where you've not fully surrendered or not surrendered even an inch to him because you doubt and you've got too many unmet, unanswered prayers to feel like you've got any faith for yourself. You don't have to understand it. You just have to know you have a God who takes something that was dead and gives it new life. You know, we have something those palm layers don't have and didn't have. They had the testimony of Lazarus and they could see Lazarus up and walking around. We have the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus is not just another dead man who was raised to life. The testimony of Jesus is the gift of a resurrected life to all who would receive it. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. Church, if we are a people who worship God for who he is, not just for what we think he's going to do for us, if we're a people who embrace the wonder, use it as a catalyst to be faithful in our obedience and to search the word of God to find him there, if we are a church who remembers the witness of the dead who were brought to life, if we truly, truly believe God came not to make bad men good, but to make dead men alive, then I believe what the Pharisees said then is going to be true of us today, that the whole world is going to go after him because they've seen your story. They've heard you tell the tale of your broken life resurrected. And if you don't have the hope or the faith or the end of the testimony yet, at first the disciples didn't understand. Let me just tell you, there's an and then coming for you. Don't quit before the and then gets here. I just urge you to persevere, to stay faithful, to find some community and some friends who can stand with you and can pray with you. At first, they didn't understand. And then it all made sense. And to hear Doc and Miss Kay tell me of the brokenness and of the hurt and of the pain, the tone with which they told me of those things was totally different 
because they had the lens of resurrection on it. They had some space between. They walked through the gap in understanding and allowed God to prove himself faithful yet again, as God always does, if we believe. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you don't believe that, or if you've never responded to that, we're going to take a moment right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's never a bad day to make a great decision. You don't have had to acted right today. You don't need to be without sin today. You don't need to have all the answers today to make this decision. So many who have made the decision still walk with doubt because God is on our journey with us. If that's you, never given your life to Christ, you want to re-give your life to Christ. You want to make Palm Sunday 22 a milestone in your life. Would you just throw your hand up so I can see you, so I can pray with you? Praise God, I see those hands. I see that hand. Amen, I see that hand. Praise God. Praise God. If you're watching online, I see your hand over there. Once it's up, you can put it back down. Praise God for you. Thank God for you. If you're online, there's a button that you can click. Do, do the same thing. Please identify yourself so we can pray with you and walk, walk with you. Would you guys just pray with me? If you raise your hand, just would you pray this prayer. God, I thank you that you are faithful to me even when I have been faithless. Forgive me for living a life outside of your will. I repent from following my own ways. God, today I'm turning, I'm following you. Jesus, you are the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I'm trusting you in every situation you lead me into that you will use it for my good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, can we all say amen and give God a hand clap for those who prayed that prayer? This is Holy Week. It's a moment to remember the story of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. It's a moment to participate in that story, to engage in it, to ask God to reveal himself to you in a way he's never revealed himself to you before. Participate with us. You, come to church. Come in here. Good Friday, be here. Easter Sunday, bring all your friends. Bring all your family. Now I'm, now I'm talking to y'all. Bring all your friends. Bring all your family. Be in this space. See what God will do when we faithfully respond what he's requesting of us. This gospel is not for you to keep and to cherish in your heart. Mary got to do that. She treasured those things in her heart. God told you, go, go, tell your story. Bring people into this place that the spirit of God can move on their hearts and minds. Amen? Because there are so many who have a testimony that's yet to be told. They have a story that's unfinished. They're living life in the gap. Oh, we ought to help them get to and then. 